welcome to Confessions of a Freebird podcast. I'm your host, Lori James, a mother, divorcee, recovering caregiver, the author of Sandwiched, a memoir of holding on and letting go, a therapy junkie, relationship coach, somatic healer, and now podcaster. I'm a free spirit and here to lift you up. On this podcast, I'll share soulful confessions and empowering conversations with influential experts so you can learn to spread your wings and make the most of your second half. So pop in those earbuds, turn up the volume, and let's get inspired because my mission is to help you create your most joyful, purpose-driven life, one confession at a time. Hey there, free birds. Before we get started with today's guest, I have one announcement and two confessions. My announcement is check out the show notes if you're looking for information on somatic healing. I have a great beginner's guide that I just created, the Beginner's Guide to Somatic Healing, and it gives you some great information so you can learn how to regulate your nervous system. And before we dive into my conversation, my confession is twofold. I realized that this podcast is coming right after I dropped four episodes on dating, which is a little backwards, but that's okay. And my second confession is, I wish I would have come across my guest today when I was going through my divorce five and a half years ago, because I would have hired her in a heartbeat. My guest today is Kate Anthony. She is the author of The D Word, Making the Ultimate Decision About Your Marriage. She's the host of the critically acclaimed and New York Times recommended podcast, The Divorce Survival Guide podcast, and the creator of a wonderful online program called Should I Stay or Should I Go, which is a question that I asked myself probably a hundred times before I finally left my marriage. Her program helps women make this very difficult decision using coaching tools, relationship education, geeky neuroscience, community support, and deep self-work. She's also a certified domestic violence advocate, a co-parenting specialist, and a high-conflict divorce coach. So welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for all the great work that you're doing out there in the world of divorce and domestic violence. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Can you start by telling our listeners how you fell into this divorce industry, divorce world, and domestic violence arena? Well, as I think with most people, it was my own experience getting divorced and going through recovering from an abusive marriage and just trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life after my divorce, partly as well. So it's just, you know, a confluence of things that brought me here. In terms of the domestic violence stuff, I really did not set out to do as much domestic violence work as I thought. I didn't anticipate how much I was going to be doing. And it was partly because of my experience, but also partly because of the overwhelming need, the the number of women that this was part of their story and this was what they were going through and what they needed. 
And I got tired of saying to people, you have to call your domestic local agency for information on that. I'm not a domestic violence expert, so you're going to have to call. And then I got sick of that. And I was like, all right, I'm going <laughs> to become an expert and get trained in this and certified in this so that I can actually help people directly because the shelters are overrun and there are questions that I can answer now that I couldn't before. So you don't have to go calling for an advocate at your local shelter that is completely overrun at this point. Yeah. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but you and a couple other women have created a domestic violence coalition. Can you just speak to that a little bit more about what you guys are doing? Because I commend you for doing this. I know domestic violence is up. It was starting to trend up before COVID, definitely went up even higher during COVID, and it's still up. Yep. It is an absolute epidemic. So the Divorce Coalition, really, I think what we're focusing on is court reform. And there are a lot of people doing this work. And I'm on the advisory board. I actually am not in the trenches with the coalition right now just because I don't have the time and the bandwidth to. So I've really lent my name to it and participating in an advisory standpoint as opposed to actually boots on the ground doing the work with them just because I don't have the space. But listen, family court reform should be one of our most pressing priorities right now. The stories that come out of family court right now are because family court judges and attorneys are not are required to have zero training in domestic violence advocacy Mm. or recognizing the signs of domestic violence. So it's absurd that they're making decisions about the lives of children without even having any knowledge or training around it. That's right. And mostly getting it wrong. Yeah. And putting women and children's lives in danger. Yes, because they're following the rule of the law. That's right. Thank you for sharing that tidbit. I just wanted to touch on that because I think it's a really important topic that if you haven't been touched by some type of domestic violence in your life, you probably know somebody who has in terms of the listeners. We all have, unfortunately. Unfortunately. And people are not talking about it. So you also may not know it. But trust us, you have. So much shame around it. That's right. So you just wrote this book, The D Word, which I absolutely love. And I think it's going to help so many women out there. Where did this idea come from? Really, ultimately, it is an answer to all of the frequently asked questions that I get. And just to be able to be like, here, all of your questions are answered here. So it really is a download of... It would have been great if I could have just plugged in a little USB drive to my brain and spit it out into a book. It would have been a really messy, chaotic book. (laughs) But it is an organized download of my brain. (laughs) And very beautifully organized, might I say, because I have taken a look at it. And I want to just start with something that you wrote in an introduction, if you don't mind. Sure. And as a start to our conversation, it says... This book is my antidote to when you know, you'll know, which I Mm -hmm. hated when my therapist said that. I know. And they're right. They're right. But also not helpful. I'm asking you a question for a reason. Exactly. Yes. This book is a guide to your personal truth and clarity. This book is for the reader who's in the depths of despair going through the most painful transition of her life. And she's paralyzed with fear and desperate for answers. This book is for the reader 
who is simply questioning her marriage and wondering if there's perhaps something better out there. And I love that introduction because just reading that put me back to when I was in that place. And it's an awful place to be. Yep. So what would you like to add to that if a listener is in that place right now? One of the things I'll say and that I do talk about in the introduction is that you get to choose. Yeah. You actually get to choose. Women are overwhelmingly feel that they actually don't get to choose their entire lives. They made it to, first of all, they made this bed, so they're going to have to lay in it. And secondly, that we sacrifice and sacrifice and the idea that we get to have needs and that what we want or desire even matters, that we actually get to be happy is what? Right. And so it's really this permission piece that when I'm in my podcast outro, I say, you, my love, deserve to be happy. And the number of women who tell me that every time they hear me say that, they cry or their shoulders just relax. And it's so sad. That is such a profound statement that women are like, that makes them cry. Like, I love that I touch them in that way, but I also hate that it's that profound. Yeah. And I can remember being in that place. Mm -hmm. I can remember sitting in therapy and asking myself that I have a choice. I can be happy. And also, I think for women in this position, right, very often it's, well, but maybe I'm just a miserable person, right? Like, how do I know? If it's them and this marriage that's making me miserable, or if it's just me, I'm just a miserable person. So how do we decide? Yes. Will you read my book? Because it's all in there. But, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, we start with doing the self-work. We start with healing ourselves in ways that are meaningful for ourselves And then seeing if that still aligns. Uh, I was just talking to Eli Hartwood. She runs her thing. is just the attachment nerd. Uh And we were talking about how, first of all, attachment styles are not fixed, right? right? They're not static. And your attachment style can change with different people in your life. You can have a more secure attachment with somebody with whom you feel more more secure. Right. You can have a more disorganized attachment. If you're in a relationship with someone with disorganized attachment, you will become far more disorganized. And so this idea that we can seek, we have to do the work on ourselves, right? Sure. I'm going to heal. I'm going to work on my attachment, which is my childhood trauma, all of those things. But if I'm continuing to be in a relationship with somebody who is avoidant or disorganized, which most abusers are, then I am going to continue to be anxious. But that's not because I have some problem. It's because the relationship I'm in is causing anxiety in me. I don't feel safe in this relationship. But if I feel safe in other relationships, in particular my relationship with my therapist or my coach, because that's where we create the healthy container of love and safety. But if I'm capable of feeling safe in lots of other places in my life, then Possibly my lack of feeling safe or happy 
is not on me. It's the relationship that I'm in. And if you're happy in other areas of your life, whether it's your personal life, your career, if you work outside the home, all of those other areas. But the other thing that I want to say on the attachment style, too, is what I have found through my own personal relationship, you can have all those different attachment styles within your marriage at various times. There were times when I felt secure in my marriage. Lucky you. <laughs> it it might have been my own idealistic thoughts at the time. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> but there was a period of time when I did feel secure in my marriage. But then there was times when I felt very anxious. Then there were times when I felt very avoidant. And there were times I felt this very disorganized. So yes, all of those things can be true. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So we got to do the work on ourselves to figure out yeah. like where we are. And if what tends to happen as you begin a healing journey, if you're in an unhappy relationship and you're not sure if it's abusive, you're not sure, but there's something that's not working. As you begin to heal yourself, first of all, your partner should be really interested in your healing journey, should actually want to help. How can I help? What can I do? How can we create this relationship to foster your growth and healing and mine, right? So if they are resistant to or threatened by your growth and healing, that's a really big red flag. Yeah. And if you start to grow and change and then you start to feel increasingly like this relationship, I no longer fit in this puzzle. I no longer fit. I now have a level of self-esteem or self-knowledge and sense of self that every time I walk into my home, I shrink from the person I've been all day, that's a red flag. Or you feel like you have to walk on eggshells as soon as the door opens. Mm -hmm. That's right. You don't know who's going to walk in the door and you're like, oh God. Which version is is coming home tonight? That's right. And none of that is okay. And so the more you shore up your sense of self, the more you'll have a better perspective and you'll start to see more clearly what's actually happening in your relationship. Definitely. And Mm -hmm. also, I think it's important to just note here that there's no time frame on this. For some people, it might take longer. And for other people, they might know sooner. And don't beat yourself up for that, because that's something that I did. I was like, God damn it, I should know sooner. Like, why can't I make a decision on this? That's because I was caring for my elderly parents. I was raising four teenage daughters and my mom was on and off a hospice, but I still beat myself up at times about that. I should know. I should have a decision. And it's okay to give it the time that it needs. Absolutely. And listen, in your case, right? Just basic decision fatigue. Every single day, you were making thousands of decisions for other people. And when you are not prioritizing yourself, and in many ways that was completely appropriate and what had to be done, there's no way that you're going to be able to be making a decision about your marriage at the end of a day when you're trying to get four teenagers through whatever and trying to make sure your mother doesn't die and all of the things, right? And you not taking care of yourself landed you in the hospital. These are things that we have to learn. We've talked about this. We have to learn to prioritize ourselves, even in the face of I'm trying to keep my mother alive and my kids from off the streets or whatever it is, right? (laughs) When you've got teenagers, like there are all these things like also 
also, you're no good to anybody when you've had a complete physical and emotional breakdown and you're in the hospital. And as we've talked about before, it's that emotional self-care. I was exercising. I wasn't sleeping great, but I was exercising. I was working out. I do all those things as part of my daily routine, but it was the emotional self-care that had fallen short. Sure. And so I think there's a distinct difference there. Mm -hmm. So what about that person that might be listening that is just like, yeah, my marriage is fine. Mm -hmm. We're fine. Yeah. What do you want to say to that person? A couple of things. Is that what you want? (laughs) You want to live a fine life? Like, And look, I'm not into toxic positivity. I'm not into the idea that we should all live like rich, juicy. I think that's total BS. And I think that most people who are telling you that that every second of their day is like this exciting adventure or it's rich and juicy or whatever the hell language they're using around it, I call BS. That's just not life. And are you settling? And are you okay with settling? So there's that. The other piece of it is often when I get under the surface of these relationships that people say are fine, they're really not. They're really not. And I think that we have been conditioned, women in particular, we've been so conditioned to think that things that are really not acceptable are just kind of the way that we should just do that. We should just handle that. We should just be okay with that. Yeah. Right. Suck up. Suck it up. Go along with it, whatever it is, because that's what we might be told. Or also there might be the person of if I divorce, that means I get half of everything and my life is a little more comfortable now and Mm -hmm. I might have to get uncomfortable. That's right. And I think that's one of the things that keeps people in a marriage that's just fine, too. Absolutely. So can we talk a little bit about emotional abuse? Yes, please. It's my favorite topic. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So what does that look in your terms and all the women that you've worked with? What does emotional abuse look like? What are the signs that somebody could be looking out for? I think it's important first to let's talk about what's a healthy relationship. And we look at what does it look like, right? And I think the more important question to ask is, what does it feel like? Rather than reinvent the wheel, can I read what I wrote about this in my book? So what would a healthy relationship model look like? I think it's important first to ask what it feels like. A relationship should, first and foremost, feel safe. You should feel emotionally, spiritually, financially, psychologically, and physically safe with your partner. You should feel safe to be exactly who you are at any time. You should feel safe to have and express your feelings and opinions, and you should feel safe expressing concerns within your relationship to your partner. All relationships have conflict, but how conflict is handled and repaired is what determines the health of a relationship. You should be able to compromise and negotiate. You don't have to agree on everything, but everyone's feelings should be considered valid. In a healthy relationship, arguments are ended with compromise and authentic communication. You should allow your concerns to bring you closer, opening up space to learn more about one another. There's a lot more that I say here, but at the end of the day, there's respect for privacy and space, right? 
at the end of the day, it should feel safe. Failing. Really. But here's the thing. For those of us out there that didn't have that templated for us as a child. Uh-huh. Sure. That's right. We don't know what that means, right? What does safe feel like if you've never been able to... Right. Which is why I outline it, right? Which is why I outline respect for privacy and space. You should be able to keep your journal on your bedside table and know it won't be read, right? In a healthy relationship, you should feel comfortable going out with friends without repercussions or arguments. You should have multiple sources of emotional nourishment. You should have friends, therapists, or coaches who support you outside the marriage and relationships with friends and family should be encouraged and facilitated. A healthy relationship should have clear communication, clear boundaries, trust, and consent. There should be bodily autonomy, right? So I list in the book all of the ways, all of the things that it should look like for it to feel safe in case we do have that, that, that screw a little bit loose. But that's beautiful and that's important because defining that, yeah, then gives you structure of, okay, how many of these do I check off? How many of those are no's and how many of those are yeses? So literally in the book, I have a healthy relationship checklist and I can actually provide that to your listeners if you want. I actually have a PDF download of the healthy relationship checklist. I'd love that. This is a checklist and you tally up your yeses, you tally up your no's. And if you have more yeses than no's, then you're probably in a healthy relationship. If you have a lot more than like, whoa, you're off to the races. It's great. If you have more no's than yeses, it's possibly unhealthy. If you have a lot more no's than yeses, it's probably abusive. Yeah. I do have this checklist, so I will send that to you so that your listeners can have it. Yeah. Thank you. I love that. Because even if somebody is in a marriage who might not be thinking about divorce, I think that's just a beautiful checklist to go through of, okay, let me check in on my relationship. Mm -hmm. Where do I stand? Yeah. That's beautiful. So I'm going to go in a little bit different direction. Do you feel like the word narcissist is overused? No, actually. Okay. (laughs) I don't. I feel like a lot of people have thrown that word out there. It became a buzzword a couple of years ago, for sure. I address this in my book, too, because I think that many things are true at the same time. Number one, I think that we are now learning to recognize the signs of narcissism. And we're talking narcissistic traits, right? So narcissism is a spectrum. There is healthy self-image on one end, right? Totally benign. And then it goes all the way through the spectrum of people who are a little bit more just like self-involved. And they every time you have a conversation with them, it just they just immediately turn it on themselves, right? They're not hearing you. They're just, how do you relate to me? And then you go further on the spectrum and you've got more malignant narcissistic behavior. These are people who are really just trying to get their self-esteem and their self-image improved by attaching mm-hmm. themselves to you. And they're using you. They're like a vampire And they'll often cheat on you, abuse you because you're not holding up your end of the, quote, bargain in terms of actually improving their sense of self because it's not your job. And then further out on the spectrum, we have narcissistic personality disorder. And two to five percent of the population or something like that gets diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. However, most people with narcissistic personality disorder aren't going into any kind of treatment to get diagnosed. So very often, if they are diagnosed, it's because they went in for substance use disorder, 
They went yeah. in to treatment for something else. So I think there are up. a lot more people with narcissistic personality disorder out there than are diagnosed. I also believe that we live in a culture that celebrates narcissistic traits and narcissism mm. from reality shows to politicians. Yeah. This behavior is very much rewarded. And our culture, I think, creates this, particularly in men. And I say that not to disparage men, but because it's true and it's also not good for men. But yeah, from research shows that men have a tendency to be more narcissistic mm -hmm. than women. That's right. That's right. And part of that is our societal constraints, our societal constructs that raise men to be more entitled than women. We live in a patriarchy. That's just the deal. That's the soup, the water we swim in. And certainly since 2015, I think it's been more obvious. We've had certain public figures that have demonstrated very clearly what this looks like. And we're I don't starting know to what you're talking about. I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and here we go again. Thanks, Iowa. But we can see it in stark relief. And then we're going, oh, what? That looks a lot like my husband or my, and then yep. they're eating up this behavior. And right. So there's a lot in our culture that has brought this awareness of it. Yeah. It's like, oh, now I can name this thing. Yeah, I get it. Now I have a name for this and it hurts and it's not comfortable and I don't like it. And so I don't think we're overusing it. I think we're finally able to name it. Okay. And yeah, because I felt that two, three years ago, I felt that overuse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So maybe it's starting to settle Me down. Me too. And by the way, I was very much of the mind of like, Everyone has to stop using that word. If they're not diagnosed, you can't use it. Like my husband was diagnosed in therapy. So I was like, I get to call him that. But it's not a lot of good it did. Anyway, but the point is that I changed my mind on it because I was like, no, actually, I think you're right. I think what you're describing, look, there are a lot of people with narcissistic traits. Yeah. We can name that. If you're in a relationship with someone with narcissistic traits, you know it. They don't and, need to have and, them diagnosed. <laughs> and it's a spectrum. And if somebody chooses to stay in that relationship, I think there's even more information out there of, okay, I'm choosing to stay in this relationship. How to stay in a relationship with somebody like that if that's what they're choosing to do. Sure. I don't know why you would want to stay in a relationship with someone who's like that. But first of all, Look, it depends on what you want out of a relationship, right? If you want intimacy and closeness and emotional connection, you're not going to get that with a narcissist. Right. You're just not. Right. If you value maybe the lifestyle that you're living above emotional intimacy and closeness and connection, which, by the way, absolutely zero judgment, right? Because right. we all have different values. And if you value lifestyle, money mm -hmm. or whatever it the lifestyle affords you more than you do intimacy, then you're like, wonderful. More power to you, honey. More power to you. Listen, choose it powerfully, but know what you're getting. Right. Know what you're signing up for. Right. Listen, don't spend your life trying to change them because they can't change. I tried. Same. <laughs> Same. So hard. <laughs> we try so hard and then we are left with 
no with nothing, right? Then we are a shell of ourselves. We're in the hospital. Yep. We have nothing left. And yeah. And we need other people now all of a sudden to take care of us. Exactly. Exactly. Which I don't recommend that. (laughs) that You don't recommend that path. It doesn't work. It's not good for you. (laughs) No. Definitely not. So I haven't looked at this section and you probably have it in your book too, but can we talk about gaslighting? Oh, yes, we can. Of course I have it in my book. Yes. Let's talk about gaslighting. So gaslighting, Merriam-Webster's word of 2022. So clearly there is, again, with the cultural understanding, it was the most searched word of 2022. Mm. And there's a reason for that. And it's not just because people are, again, misidentifying it in any way. They're really, they're experiencing something and they don't know what it is. And then when they have a word for it, they're like, oh my God, this makes so much more sense. Absolutely. And it now I don't feel crazy. Right. And so, yeah. And so gaslighting, to be clear, gaslighting is not lying. Gaslighting is lying for the specific purpose of having you doubt your own experience of reality. So that way you will feel crazy eventually, if not right away, eventually. Yes, that's right. You will feel crazy. If someone comes to you and says, oh, my God, Lori, I love your purple hair. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> purple hair. For anyone listening, Lori does not have purple hair. Um, <laughs> and then they're like, what are you talking about? Are you kidding? You don't see purple when you look at your, like, are, is there something wrong with you? Have you ever been checked for colorblindness? Because your hair is literally purple. And if they do this to you every single day. Yeah. And then they're isolating you from people who are going to be like, no, Laura, you're totally blonde. I don't know what he's talking about. He's crazy. And they're cornering you and making it like eventually you're going to be looking in the mirror going, is that purple? Purple." Oh, my God. I think I see purple strands. Oh, oh, literally. And I know it sounds crazy, but that is what happens. And I've seen it with clients. It's terrifying when they really do start to lose that grip on reality. I've worked with clients that have been dealt with gaslighting too, and it is, and having had some of my own experiences of that as well. Oh, absolutely. And by the way, it doesn't look like Lori of purple hair. It looks like my husband's favorite, right? He's, he'd be triggered, triggering me. He knows where my buttons are. And I yep. would say, I need time. I need space. Give me a minute. I need to walk around the block. I'm triggered. I'm triggered. And then he goes in and in and in. And then I lose it. Yeah. Then, oh, go ahead. Whoa. Go ahead and walk away. Just go oh, ahead and walk sh- away from our conversation. See how right. you are? Right. Or I explode all over the place. And then, wow, you're crazy. Yeah. You have an anger problem. <laughs> and so now I think I have an anger problem. Yeah, I don't, have, I don't have an anger problem. I was triggered and I was asking for space and right. I wasn't being given to me. Right. But I start to be gaslit into thinking that, oh, I have an anger problem because I just exploded. It's very serious. And it becomes more serious when we really do start to lose our grip. Like I said, actually losing your grip on reality is it looks like you, you just now you can't think straight now. You don't know what the truth is about yourself and your relationship. You don't understand what's right. It's really hard. And then that takes you even longer to get to a place where 
you can make a decision, should I stay or should I go, which is their whole purpose. That's right. That's exactly right. 100%. Let's say somebody has decided to move forward with a divorce. What are maybe two or three things that someone should know? Okay, I'm ready to tell my husband I want a divorce. Mm. So the first thing you should do before you tell them that you want a divorce, you should probably do some due diligence first, right? You might want to have a consultation with an attorney or two because you want to know what your rights are. You need to have information. I am not suggesting that you hire an attorney. I'm not suggesting that you put a retainer down immediately. I am suggesting that you learn your rights, especially if you're in an abusive relationship and you're ready to go. You have got to get and gather all the information that you can to combat the crazy stuff that's going to come out of their mouths in an effort to control you and keep you reeled back in. If you have, as many people do, had this conversation multiple times and he won't let you and he says no and all of that, right? You need to have information. First of all, which is that one of the things they're going to say to you is you can't do that. I'm not allowing you. They don't actually get to say that. This is not a collaborative agreement that you're coming to. You are making a declaration for yourself and you're drawing a line in the sand and you're saying, I'm done and there is no more. And it doesn't matter what they say about and what you want is to be able to disarm when they say things like, I'm going to take the kids. You're never going to see your kids again. I'm not giving you any money and you're not going to get anything in this divorce. You want to have consulted an attorney so that you can look at them and be like, "Okay, that's actually not how divorce works. Yeah, but that's the deal. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's actually not how divorce works in our state. You should probably not use those kinds of threats, right? You wanted to be able to kind of roll your eyes and be like, all right, I'm glad you think that's what you can do. But unfortunately, that's not how divorce works. So anyway, there is a very specific structure that I lay out in my book and with scripts with how to have this conversation. The other thing you want to know, you want to remember is that No matter how many times you've told this person that you're unhappy, no matter how many times you've said, I want a divorce, and then they've maybe made a change or not made a change or whatever it is, no matter how many times you've had this conversation, when you mean it, this will be news to them. They never think you're actually going to follow through. And partly because you haven't. Or Um, you've tried and then you've reneged for whatever. That's right. You haven't followed through with it. They don't think that you're going to follow through or you've come back, right? Whatever it is, you have come back. And whatever their threats are, it's all worked. And so the first thing you need to understand is that this will be news to them and you're going to have to give them a minute, right? You really need to give them some time. And this conversation should have one objective, one objective only, which is to impart this piece of information. The first Mm. conversation you have about it is not about, you're not going to sort out any of the details. Yeah. When you're getting divorced, you're making the biggest legal and financial decisions of your life in the middle of the biggest emotional upheaval of your life. And while you are done, you're dropping a bomb on this other person. And as soon as they realize that you're actually serious, they're going to panic. That is not a time to be deciding custody schedules or who's keeping the house or about your 401k. Like, no. So what you really want to do is approach this with empathy and kindness to be able to say, hey, listen, I don't want to make decisions right now. 
This is news to you. Why don't we just take a minute? I'm not doing anything. I'm not filing. I am not shutting down accounts. I'm not like nothing. That's not what I'm doing here. I just want you to know that this is where I'm at. We have a lot of big decisions to make. And I hope that we can move forward, putting our kids at the center of all of the decisions that we make, yada, Mm -hmm. yada, yada. But I just want you to know right now that this is my decision. And we'll deal with the rest later. But as soon as you start being, as soon as you like, because you're done, you're ready. You have been done for a long time. And now you want to like get it done. You're going to screw it up. You're going to screw the whole process by doing that. So slow down. That's really great advice. And I think one of the other pieces of advice that I'll throw in there too, because I left my marriage shortly before the holidays and I waited until after the holidays to tell my kids. And my kids were adults at that time. But I think that's an important piece too, because you don't want your kids to associate certain things, their birthday, Christmas, Thanksgiving of when they found out their parents were getting divorced. Doesn't matter whether they're little kids or adults, or even if you have grandchildren, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, Mm -hmm. that I think is really important because I know people and I have clients who have been through that and their kids have really struggled with that. It's just another little added piece there. Absolutely. I blurted out that I wanted a divorce on Christmas Eve and it made for the worst (laughs) Christmas And we had to assemble a toy kitchen that night after our son had gone to bed. Like, it was a nightmare. The whole thing was a nightmare. And it also made Christmas for years, like, a really dark time. Yeah. Completely. I can see how that would be. So you left your marriage 14 years ago or so? Uh, 15. Yeah, 15. How has it been for you on the other side? It's been great. I mean... I'm a totally different person. I make my own decisions every single day. I'm not yelled at or criticized or made to feel like a piece of shit in my own home. I'm not constantly trying to bend myself into pretzels to try to get someone else's love. I'm not begging someone to love me. Yeah. And it just makes it a lot easier for my own self-esteem and well-being to grow. I could not grow my self-esteem when I was constantly being put down. So listen, there is no reason you do deserve to be happy. And I'm really happy. And I'm not repartnered, by the way. And I think that's a really important thing. A lot of people say, oh my God, am I going to be alone forever? And yeah. you know what I say is, I don't know, maybe. But yeah. the and alternative think- is to be in this forever. And I think that whether you end up with a partner, because I am partnered up, I've been with a boyfriend for two years and he's wonderful and he is a true partner. I don't Mm -hmm. feel like he cooks just as much as I do and he'll pull out the vacuum in vacuum. It's been really beautiful. It's not perfect, but there's so many good things that outweigh the small little things. But I don't know about you and I don't know what you say to your clients around this, but... I felt like I had to be in a place of if I am alone for the rest of my life, I'm going to be okay. That's right. And if I do partner up and I find somebody, that's great too. But I'm okay in this moment being alone. That's right. And look, when you first get out, you may not be okay being alone, right? Because 
your anxious attachment style may be like pulling you toward freaking out, right? And so you do need to take, I would say, a year of just chill, just yeah. heal, just spend the time healing. Yeah. And then you can begin to move forward, whatever. And when you start dating, you're going to have a better picker. If you start right away, your picker is probably going to be a bit trashed. Yes. So it's, look, I'm not willing to settle. And so I know who I am now, and I am much more discerning. And if the right person comes along, wonderful. But I'll recognize them now. Yeah. yeah. And all the other ones, I recognize very quickly mm -hmm. and move right along. And I would yeah. rather do that than settle for any of those. Yeah. Good for mm -hmm. you. Kudos to you. Thank you. So as we come to a close, what's one confession you'd like to make to our listeners on this topic that mm, yeah. you haven't shared yet? One of the things I was thinking about the other night, I was really angry at my ex-husband and he was driving me absolutely crazy as he continues to do because he's still him. And there was just something happening and I was just like, I had this moment of what would my life have looked like if I had known? And if I had broken up with him at the first red flag, which was very early on, by yeah. the way. And my confession is, I kind of wouldn't have it any other way. Who knows? First of all, you can't do that, right? That movie, Gwyneth Paltrow movie, Sliding Doors, right? We can't sliding doors our lives. Like, we have no idea what the other alternate universe is going to be. But I also just, I've got a great kid. I've got an amazing career. Yeah. I have grown so much. Yeah. I know shit that I never would have known had I not gone through this process. So I don't regret it. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you're stronger for it all. It's mm -hmm. so fucking hard to go through it when we're going through it. Mm -hmm. But I'm with you. It's like if I wouldn't have had these life experiences, I wouldn't be the person I am today. That's right. Mm -hmm. Same. So on that note, how can people find you, Kate? Everything is on my website, which is kateanthony.com. And I'm on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. And my podcast, which Lori has been a guest on twice now, is the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, which is available on all platforms. Great. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to be here with me and our listeners. And I look forward to staying connected with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Confessions of a Free Bird. I'm grateful to be in your ears and hearts. If you're interested in becoming a free bird, I'd love to support you. Please check out my website at laurieejames.com to learn how we can work together or to sign up for my newsletter so you can receive tips on how to date and relationship differently and ultimately find more freedom and joy in your life. If you found this podcast helpful, please follow or subscribe, rate and review and share it with friends so they can find more freedom in their second or third act also. Until next time.